Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. love today, uh, as it turns out. I love, a, I'm Jenny by the way, one of the pastors here if I haven't met you before. Um, I, I love a good love story. So give me Saturday night, Netflix, and a good love story. Story Twilight. why? Twilight. No, not, not what I was going to watch on a Saturday night, but that's okay. You can watch that, man, that's right. Um, but I love a good love story. As a kid, I loved good love stories. I loved the story of uh, Cinderella. I love the story of Snow White. Uh, I love the story of Sleeping Beauty. I loved any story where um, someone kissed a prince and turned into a princess. It was just kind of, I think, I'm pretty sure that's kind of what happened to me. Very yeah, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> and as a kid, I grew up loving the story of Esther. So today, we're going to unpack the story of Esther together, which is a bit of fun. Um, and as, a, as the story of Esther, when I was a kid, I, I heard about all the cool things that kind of happened to her, and then she became queen, and I was like, I want that to happen in my life, right? Um, but as an adult, not, I'm not saying it didn't happen, like, I feel like I'm your queen, honey, but... But as an adult, I realize that the, st the story of Esther is much more than that. The story is, of Esther is about how God used a human to see his name glorified. The story of Esther is about the power of God revealed. And so we're just going to simply open up the scriptures today. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Esther. Um, and we're going to kind of, I'm going to tell the story. I'm not necessarily going to read through a lot of it because I can't have time to read the whole, all the chapters to you, um, but I'm going to kind of tell the story, but you can kind of follow along a little bit. Um, so the book of Esther. So we're talking about a time when a king, King Xerxes, uh, was in, on the throne, and he ruled all the way from uh, India through to Kush. Now, I was like, where is that? So I've got your map here. As you can see, all this red stuff is where King uh, Xerxes ruled. So it's a rather large area. We're not just talking about like the city of Adelaide, right? We're talking about a really, really large region, a fairly or very powerful king. And the king, he uh, loved to throw banquets, loved his food and drink, and he, would, he threw a banquet for, or he threw an event for 180 days. And he showed off all of his treasures because he was, uh, had beautiful, I imagine, artwork and gold as well as food and all of that kind of glorious things. And at, towards the end of this banquet, he's had a little bit to drink and he calls up his queen, Queen Vers, Vers, I see, Vashti. So do you know what? So one of the things as I was, I was planning today, I was like, I've got to learn all the pronunciation because there is some Old Testament pr pronunciation. And I was like, don't mess it up. It's fine. It's a good start. Okay, he called his queen and he says, I want to bring the queen here. I want to show her off to my kingdom because she's beautiful. And uh, the queen, whether she just had enough of the king, I don't know, or just was in a bad mood, she says, no, nah, I'm not coming, which is probably not the wisest idea for a queen whose king rules this much land. And so obviously, as you can imagine, it makes the king quite upset. And so he says uh, to his fellow servants, he says, what, uh, to his people, his workers, he says, 
what do I do? Like, what do I do now? Like, what do I do with this queen? And they were like, you need to get rid of her. Essentially, because all the other women in the nation are going to rise up and, and tell their, their husbands and stuff that they don't need to follow them. So you need to get rid of her. So he goes, all right, gets rid of her. And uh, at the same time, there's a girl named Esther in the land. And Esther's parents had, um, had died or weren't with her, and that she was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Some of you probably heard this story before. And uh, she was a beautiful young woman. And the king said to his eunuchs, he said, go out and bring all of, uh, or many virgins, beautiful virgins, uh, into my palace. And Esther was one of those people that got brought in. And then he said, give them 12 months of beauty treatment, which I'm totally fine with for Christmas, Mike. I can handle that. And as a child, I thought, what an amazing opportunity to get pampered for 12 months. I go out for like a 20-minute massage, and I'm like, heaven has opened up. It's amazing. 12 months of that. But one of the things I've been learning as I, as I grow up, I guess, and as you read scriptures, it starts to come alive to you, and the truth kind of comes out, is that Esther was actually a Jew. And for a Jew to marry a Gentile was against uh, their religion, against what they were allowed to do. And so Esther probably was not there of her own desire. So the word used in scripture is taken. So she was taken to the king along with other women. She was about to step in to have a king have ultimate power over her in this moment. Uh, someone who was going to control her. And it's not like he had a great reputation for what he had just done uh, to his last wife. So Esther would have had to be particularly brave to follow a call of what God is putting on her life and to step out, she would have had to be really brave. She was also really smart. So she didn't go and she didn't tell anybody that she was a Jew. Mordecai had said, don't do this. This is something that will actually hinder uh, what God wants you to do and hinder you in that place. So don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. Also, she doesn't ask for a single thing extra than what she's given. She is female, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can say that because I am a woman. But she doesn't. She's smart. And then she goes before the king... And she says, and, and she goes before the king, and he likes what he sees, and he makes Esther queen. And all of a sudden, we have Queen Esther. Now, the thing about Mordecai is Mordecai loved Esther. He adored her. He raised her as his own. And so as, um, as she becomes queen, he continues to stay very close to her in the temple gates. They actually say that he was probably an official uh, in the temple courts. And um, so he works there. And as he's working there, he overhears two men talking. And they're talking about killing the king, right? And so he goes and he tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and she tells the king who, um, who told her. And one of the things that I find really interesting about this story, the book, about the book of Esther, is that God is actually not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, right? But I love that as you read Esther, you can see the fingerprints of God throughout it. You can see the fingerprints of God when um, Mordecai is, is at the temple and hears these two men uh, talking about killing the king because it comes into play a little bit later on. Now, in every good story, like Cinderella or anything like that, there's always a bad guy, right? It's got to be a bad guy. So this is where the bad guy comes into the story. The bad guy in this story's name is, is Haman. And so the king's official... He, he was one of the king's officials, and he was, like, really, really high up there, guys. And uh, a little bit of a backstory about Haman for a second. Haman was a, Gad a Gagite, which made him the descendants of King Agag of the Amalekites. 
a people whom actually in, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, uh, God tells King Saul to eradicate those people when he defeated them. But King Saul doesn't do this. King Saul decides to leave some of them alive. Now, I don't know uh, his, exactly his family line there exactly, but I wonder if perhaps uh, along his family line, they had passed on the hatred toward Jews through, um, through this man. And so what happens is he goes to the king and he uses his power to set up a, a, a um, decree that the Jews are going to be killed, okay? In, other, in a few months' time, in about 11 months' time, the Jews are going to be killed. But before he does that, um, he rolls a dice called a purr because he can't go and see the king unless it comes up his way. And he does that for months after months after months. This guy must have hated the Jews so much to month after month after month wait to get before the king so he can put a decree in to have them killed. The thing with long-term hatred is it seeps into your soul. It starts to become part of who you are. You think it's actually okay to do these things um, because this, this hatred of something that someone's done to you, which may it be have been really bad or, or maybe it wasn't that bad. I don't know. But that kind of thing, what it does to us is it actually ruins us from the inside out and it reflects in our actions and it reflects in Haman's actions as well. So um, it, we go on in chapter 3. Mordecai doesn't bow down to Haman. So that's why Haman is planning this revenge, right? He's got this long-term hatred, and then he's got this moment where he is one of the almighty, one of the powerful, just below the king, and Mordecai doesn't want to bow down to him because Mordecai's not going to bow down to anybody except God. So Haman has this, he, has, he throws this dice, eventually it comes up, he goes to the king, he, he, he tells the king, we've got to eradicate the Jews um, on this set date, and so that's all set. And then the Jews hear about this. Now, I can imagine if you heard that your um, race was going to be completely eradicated, that there would be fear, and there would be weeping, and there would be mourning. And there was all of those things with the Jews. And then they fasted and they prayed. Now, Mordecai, who was usually in the court gates, had stripped off his clothes and gone down to sackcloth because he was in so much mourning. So he couldn't even go into the king's gates to talk to Esther. And so Esther's in her room. She doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, she's probably being pampered as well and doing all the things that queens do when they're not in front of the king. I don't know. I'm not a queen. Um, and so she sends out a letter and, the, and, the, and, it's with, and sends one of the king's eunuchs along and asks him what's going on. And so Mordecai tells the eunuch the story. And he shows a decree called for the death of the Jews. And he asks Esther, go and see the king and plead for my people. And Esther replies, hey, Mordecai, you know that anybody who goes before the king when they're not called will probably be killed. So what you're asking me to do is to die. And then Mordecai says in chapter 4, verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Do not think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Who knows if you were made queen for such a time as this? Now, this line, for such a time of, of this, 
has become almost pop culture. It's kind of lost its uh, meaning, but there is so much power in that one line. And I think that God wants to us to speak to us today around, around part of this, pardon Esther. You know, we are actually between series at Encounter. We just finished a series and we're about to step into the interns and then into um, Lovember, which will be fun. Um, and so I got to pick whatever I wanted. And I had all these ideas about what I was going to preach on today and it was not Esther. And then I was driving one day and I just felt weirdly randomly, you should preach on Esther. I was like, oh, okay. And then I, about three days later, I heard, you should preach on Esther. And I was like, all right, I'm good. And then a third time I heard, you should preach on Esther. And I, at the third time I went, maybe I should start listening. <laughs> and so I think that God actually wants to speak to us through this story today. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to tell the story today. We're going to read from bits of it. But I want to encourage you to go home and let the scripture speak to you as you read it to yourself as well today. But maybe you need to hear this, that maybe right now where you are, maybe you were made for such a time as this. Now, Esther was extremely smart, as we've heard before. She was brave. But in that moment, she was also human. She was afraid. When you're asked to do something and step into your calling, sometimes there is a fear in that. How do you react when God asks you to do something really big? Do you react in fear? Do you think, well, maybe I just heard God wrong or maybe God got it wrong because it can't be me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not all of these things, all these lists of things that you have in your mind. Well, the thing about Esther is her list was really short. Her reason was that she would probably be killed. And unfortunately for her, Mordecai was rather unsympathetic. He said, you're a Jew. You will probably be killed unless you do something. So he asked her, will you do what you are called to do? Will you, Esther, take that step of faith that you need to, to step into your calling? You know, when Mike and I um, felt called into ministry, I, was, I had a little baby and uh, so was not earning an income. He was in a great job, and God said, jump into ministry, which was mostly unpaid. So for us to step out of our full-time job and step into what was, I think, about one or two days a week worth of income, well, it was a, it was a day a week in your chaplain job. Um, so about a day or two worth of income was a huge faith step. But we knew that if God was calling us, that we needed to step out in faith. And would I change that at all? I would not change that for a moment. 100%. I would not change having to eat pasta pretty much every night of the week or getting food from the college um, food bank that they used to have there. I wouldn't change having to rely on my parents for any kind of holiday we went on because the call of God was so strong. And I knew that we had to step out in faith. And God has walked with us and blessed us as we've done that over time. And it's been absolutely scary. Throughout the Bible, there are elements of faith, people stepping out in faith. You think about Peter walking on the water. He had to step out in faith. You think about Noah building a boat in the middle of the desert. Let's talk about stepping out in faith. Or Abraham pulling his son up onto an altar ready to kill Isaac. Or think of Rahab hiding the spies within her home, knowing that at any moment she could be found out. There was a step of faith that they had to take to follow their calling. 
So maybe you were made for such a time as this. But the thing about being made for such a time as this and the thing about having a calling is at some point you've got to make a choice to step into that calling. So maybe like Esther, today is a night where you say, do you know what, I'm going to step into that calling. Or maybe also like Esther, you will see that there really isn't, there is no choice. When God is calling you, you can run and you can hide like Jonah did or like Moses did. But if God is calling you, I can tell you, he will continually chase you down. It will not fade away. You know that thing that just keeps coming back? That God just keeps saying, hey, will you listen? It keeps coming back. That's the call of God. Tonight, I failed to ask you, do you know what God is calling you to? And do you know what, know what is stopping you running towards that calling? We're going to encourage you, and Mike already did, invite you into two weeks of prayer and fasting. And I want to encourage you while you do that. Ask God, what are you calling me to in this season? You know, we're fasting and we're praying for this church plant. We're fasting, we're praying and discern about whether we're called to it or what we're called to do. But I want you to fast and pray and seek the Lord and watch how he opens up doors as you step out into your calling. Maybe you were made for such a time as this. And I know there are a billion reasons as to why you can't follow the call. But let me tell you what Esther did next. It goes on in verse 15 to say, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the Lord, the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Two things happen here, friends. One, Esther realizes that the call of God is worth her whole life. She is willing to die to follow the call of God. God is her number one. Now, in the West, we don't really come across um, being killed for our faith all that often. I don't imagine that's going to happen here. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to die to self or die to the way in which we feel like we should live so that we can live for God. And number two, when she does this, she realizes she's got to put God first. And then she calls her people to pray and fast. Now, our elders, for three days, three days, right? Our elders fasted for 48 hours, just, and we had water, and we thought we were going to die. So three days without any water or any food is really full on. Now, you only fast for three days without any water or any food when you are desperate for God to move, right? You are desperate to see him change something in your life. For Esther, she was desperate to save the Jewish people, and she knew that she needed to fast and pray in that moment. And if I asked you today, would you, fast and, uh, would, you, would you fast and pray for two weeks if your family and friends were going to be killed? The answer is yes, right? Like I asked my 10-year-old son, I'm like, would you do it, buddy? He's like, yes, I would, right? He's going to fast for a couple of days if that's the case. Of course you would. If that was what was the risk was, of course you would. Well, I believe that we, if we want to see the power of God come upon us, if we want to see our friends and family come to know Jesus, then we do need to fast and we do need to pray to see that. And I believe that, that their lives depend on it. That I believe that salvation matters for every single one of my family, for every single one of my friends. And I will do whatever it takes 
to see people know the love of Jesus. Esther knew that this was a really important moment. I feel like, and Mike actually mentioned it before, and I wrote this before he spoke, so that we are on the cusp of something really special here. We are on the cusp of God wanting to do something miraculous in this place. A place where more people can come to know Jesus. And we are asking you to join us in this. God wants to do our work in you. And the, and the question is, will you let him? Will you step out in faith and will you let him? I believe out of these 14 days of prayer and fasting, some of you are going to be called to join a new church plant. Some of you are going to be called to the renewal of prospect here at Enfield. Some of you are going to have a fresh revelation of how much God loves you and the call upon your life. I believe that this is a stake in the ground moment for us as a church. I don't say that lightly, but I believe that is. Mark my words, friends. We will see salvations. We will hear stories of miracles. We will see healing and we will see God revealed. When we step out in faith, our lives and those of us around us are transformed. Esther stepped out in faith and guess what happens? She goes before the king and he does not kill her. He actually asks, queen, what do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. So not only does he not kill her, he offers her half of her kingdom. And Esther simply says, will you come to dinner with me? I'm going to throw you a feast. He's like, sure, sounds great. And when they're at the feast, she goes, I want you to come to another feast. And he's like, okay, I love feasts, as seen by the beginning of the scripture. And so he goes, he goes and, he, and he goes to another feast. And just before the second feast, though, Haman uh, makes a, a structure, a, a gallow or a pole um, because he's planning on killing Mordecai on this pole, right? Impaling him on this pole. That was going to be Mordecai's death. So he builds that and he gets to the end of building that and he goes and then he gets called to this second feast, right? He's got, still got so much anger burned up inside of him. He's so angry about what Mordecai's done and about what the Jews have done. And um, this is actually where we, we see... God's hand over it again. So like I said, you can see the fingerprints of God throughout this story. And this is another moment. The king can't sleep, right? Who's had those kind of nights? Well, for us now, we probably put on some boring podcasts that we can just kind of fall asleep to, right? Well, the king had someone come in and read the Chronicles to him, right? So he, so he had someone who would just come and read to him, which sounds lovely. Um, and I guess what he was expecting to hear would be pretty boring, so maybe it would put him to sleep. Anyway, he starts to read... And he finds out that there was this guy in his courts that found out that he was going to be killed but saved his life, right? And he finds out this guy was Mordecai and he goes, what's been done for this guy? And the people reading it said, oh, nothing. And he says, oh, well, that's not good. And so then a few things, a few different things happen and he decides that he's going to um, essentially make Mordecai almost famous. So walk him through the temple gates on a donkey clothed in his royal robe and Haman had to kind of pull the donkey along and, and show, which if you can imagine, Haman's told everyone how much he hates the Jews by this point, right? Everybody knows how much he hates Mordecai. And so the embarrassment of having to walk Mordecai through the gates would have been horrendous. It would have been like Haman would have been fuming by that point. And then they go into the second um, feast the day after. And, um, and, uh, and Esther then, this is when the story kind of goes back to Esther. 
And uh, she tells the king that someone is going to kill the Jews, her people. She was a Jew, and these were her people. And the king's furious, and he's like, who would make such a law? And he's like, well, you did. Um, he's like, well, Haman. Haman told you to do make this law. And so he is furious with Haman, absolutely furious. Furious. And after a few things that will happen, uh, Haman is killed on the same pole that he made for Mordecai to die on. And the story goes on, and I, I can't tell it all to you today, but I want to remind you of, and I want to encourage you to read it when you get home, because it's really, really important. But I want to remind you of two things. You are called to fight. You are not called to a boring, mundane life. If you are a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus, you are actually called to more. You weren't called to wake up in the morning, go to work, eat some food, maybe go to church once a month. You know, all those things are great, but you're actually not called to that. You're actually called to see God at work in your workplace, to see God at work in your home, to see God at work within this church and within your friendships. Actually, as I was praying before I came up here, I felt to encourage some, someone in this room, in your workplace, God wants to use you dramatically, that you're going to walk in and actually share the gospel with someone in your workplace, and they're going to break down in tears as the Holy Spirit meets them. So I don't know who that's for, but I encourage you, if you feel that's for you, to just step out in faith and watch God work. We need to be led into this new season, and we need to obey God. If you want to see the world changed, if you want to see churches planted, a focused church uh, who's focused on the loss and seeing people saved, then you need to step out in faith and you need to fight for the calling that God has on your life. Esther was a fighter. Esther fought for what she believed. She fought for the Jews. But let me bring you back to how she fought. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Ephesians 6, 10, sorry. Put on all the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, we don't fight an earthly battle. We fight a spiritual battle. And how we fight is through fasting and praying. We get on our knees if we're going to fight in this supernatural. And we need to fight in the supernatural because, as we just read, our fight is not of this human world, but of the spiritual realm. And you know what? Satan is not excited that we're going to church plant friends. He is not excited. He's actually against it. And I can tell you the last two weeks, we've had more spiritual attack than we've had in the last six months when we put this out there and said, this is what we feel God's calling us to do. And we've been fighting those spiritual attacks on our knees in prayer. I'm excited about the church plant, but it needs faithful people to say yes to Jesus. We need to raise a reasonable amount of money. We're going to need to give up our comfort zone. And we're going to need a battle on our knees. And this, friends, is a battle worth fighting. So will you fast and pray before you go out into battle? just like Esther? And will you watch the fingerprints of God all over your whole life? And number two, and Banji can come on up. 
God fights for you. Sometimes you hear people say, God, I'm, I'm going ahead and God is behind me. That is not true. God is in front of you. God goes before you. God knows what is about to happen and you can trust him because God fights for you. He has already fighted for you. The reason that he sent his son to die and to, ro- and to be ri- rose again is because he fights for you because he thinks your life and your calling is worth fighting for because he believes in you. As a kid, I wanted to be a queen, but as an adult, I want to be a servant. I want to be God's servant. At the end of the story, once the Jews are saved, and they are, they have a celebration for two days. Something that's actually written into the law that they can celebrate this every year. And the celebration is called Purim, which comes from Haman's dice, Pur. So God used something that was destined for evil and renewed it to show His glory and His power. Friends, I don't know what your past is. I don't know when I speak. If you think, do you know what? My past is too far gone. Well, let me tell you, I have a God who redeems your past and is wanting you to live out your future in Him. Do not let your past and the things that have happened in your life change what is going to happen in your future. We are a future-focused church. We lay those things at the foot of the cross and we allow God who fights for us to show us what the truth of our future is. The future is right here. It's right now. And we're going to call you to ask you to step into that because we know the joy that it is to truly follow the Lord and to seek the Lord. And we're going to encourage you to step out of the boat and say, if I die, then I die. Because the call of God and obeying the Lord is worth dying for. Perhaps stepping out of the boat actually looks like saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe it's saying yes to Jesus to go back to him after a long time of just running from him. Or perhaps stepping out of the boat looks like baptism. I really felt tonight that for some people it's going to be stepping into a a relationship with Jesus. And for some people it's going to be like, you know what, I love Jesus, but I have not been baptized and I need to be baptized. So if that's you, come and talk to us. And over the next two weeks, I challenge you to choose to fast with us. Choose to seek God's face in prayer. Choose to put God in His rightful place. Church, do you want to see God move in power? Well, I do. And if I want to see God move in power, I know that faith needs to rise up. I know that we need to step out of that boat onto the water and watch how God uses us. But faith needs to rise up in this place. And I want you to know that you were made for such a time as this. 
So maybe tonight you need to say that this is a stake in the ground moment. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to continue to worship with a beautiful song. And uh, I want to encourage you. So maybe today you need to make this a stake in the ground moment. And you didn't need to kneel before the king because what did Esther do when she went to ask the king to save her people? She fell at his feet. We kneel before the king and we ask for him to move in our lives. We ask for him to show us what our calling is. We ask for him to move. And so I want to encourage you as we worship, maybe you need to get on your knees and say, from this day forward, me and my house will serve the Lord. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do that. Whether you do that in your seat so nobody but you and God can see it or whether you can't want to come down the front and, have, and just declare before the Lord that I will make a statement that today I will serve the Lord. Let's make this a stake in the ground moment. From here on out, that you will fight for the Lord because He fought for you. Why don't you stand for just a moment?